You know, in our country today, we seem to, to be divided in many ways. And, um, you know, I was, I was thinking about this on our money. It says, e pluribus unum. E pluribus unum. And what that means is that means out of many, one. Out of many people, we are one nation. I think that also applies to the church. Out of many, we are one. And I love that. You know, speaking on unity, there was a, a visitor was was shown this leper colony in India. And he went there and he was, he was checking that out. And at noon, there was this gong that went off. And it was, it was a call for them to come to the dining hall. And so people started coming uh, out of all of these different uh, uh, dwellings. And, and uh, they were coming from all parts of the compound to the dining hall. And then all of a sudden, there was uh, the, these peals of laughter. And, and uh, the visitor was kind of stunned by it. And there, he saw there was, there was two uh, young men that, that were coming uh, towards the dining hall. And one of them was riding on the other one's back. And they were laughing and they were having a good time. They were pretending to be a horse and a rider. And uh, they, were, they were just having loads of fun. And as the visitor watched, he saw that the man that, um, who, who carried his friend on his back was blind. And the friend who was on his back could not walk. Together they helped each other. And they were having a great time doing it. I think about this. Imagine a church like that where every member was using his or her strength to make up for another's weakness. That's what we're supposed to do in the body of Christ. You know, the Holy Spirit inspired the, the scriptural writers to use many different images and metaphors and, and figures of speech to communicate divine truth. And, and, and he, he wanted to commu- they wanted to communicate the truth to their readers' hearts and to their minds so that they would understand. And one of the most variegated figures of speech used uh, to talk about the nature and the function of the church is the body of Christ. When we think about those terms, the body of Christ, that we are the body of Christ. See, in this figure of speech, the inspired writer is is declaring that the church is a living organism in which Jesus Christ lives and through which he conducts his ministry in the world. I want to read out of Romans chapter 12, a couple of verses, and then I want to read out of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 through 14, and then verse 27. And um, as we read these, I want you to think about that body of Christ that he's, that he, he's talking about. Romans 12, verse 4 and 5 says this. It says, For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function... So we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, it says, For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members 
of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. Verse 27, now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. Let's pray. Loving Father, we thank you for your word. And Father, I thank you for how you speak to us through your word. I pray that right now, even in this moment, that your Holy Spirit would clear out our hearts and our minds so that we could focus clearly on you. Thank you, Father, for establishing this time that we could meet with you in this place that was prepared to worship you. Father, I pray that as we ingest your word, that we would be forever changed because of your presence with us today. God, we love you and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, the church, the church of the New Testament is not brick and mortar. It's not steel and stone and wood and glass. The church in the New Testament is also not a place or an address. The church in the New Testament is the people. The people. And the writers, by using this figure, the body of Christ, the writer is declaring that the church is more than an organization that is made up of people. He is saying that the church is a living organism, not just an organization. There's a big difference there. It is a living organism that was brought into existence by Jesus Christ. And it continues today because of His power and because of His purpose. We need to know from the rock with which we've come from. And that rock is founded on Christ Jesus. And I think that's, that's huge. Because the, 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 the church is a living organism just like the human body. I mean, think about this. There are many members, but each one is necessary for life to be there and the well-being of all. Any loss of any one member would be damaging to the body. God designed it so that there would be variety in the church. Aren't you glad that we're not all the same? Aren't you glad that each one of us is an individual and that we're not just carbon copy stamps of one another? It's such a beautiful picture that we are all individually, uh, uh, we are all individual individuals, but we're all part of one body. I think that's, that's wonderful. You know, variety in the body is not just accidental, it's planned. And variety um, looks different in each body. Every, every church that I've ever been to was an individual church. It wasn't the same as any other church. Even as we, as individuals, have a body and each of our bodies are different. But we're all one in Jesus Christ. Now, God does not expect everyone to have, let's say, the gift of evangelism. But he does expect each one of us to evangelize. 
All of us don't have the, uh, a gift of, special gift of faith, but all of us are to exercise faith. Some of us have the gift of helps. And while that may not be your gift, we're all should help to build up and edify the body. See, God has gifted people in the church to stir the whole church to a deeper commitment to Jesus Christ. See, in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, if you want to turn there, I'm going to be in Ephesians chapter 1 for just a moment, and then I'm going to camp out a little longer in Ephesians 5. But in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, he says this, and it says, And he, meaning God, put all things in subjection under his feet, Jesus' feet, and gave Jesus, him, as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. I love that. God exalted Jesus Christ to a name that is above all names so that everything in heaven and on earth is in subjection to our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, God did that for Jesus. He exalted him to to that place. It's comforting and it's challenging to recognize that Christ, as the head of the church, relates himself to and acts in a variety of ways toward the church. And the first one I would say is this, is that Christ, Jesus Christ, is Lord of the church. I'm not the boss. He's the boss. It's his church. And we are members of his church. You're not members of my church. You're not following Ridge Adams. Ridge Adams is not the Lord. Jesus Christ is the Lord. He's the one we follow. He is the one we want to be a disciple of, is is of Jesus Christ. See, Christ exercises lordship and authority over the church. He is the Lord. He is the master. He is the boss. And what he decides is what we want to do. Not what I decide, not what you decide, but what he decides is what we want to do. Look in Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in in verse 23. It says there, well, we can begin in verse 22. It says, wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be uh, to, their own, to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to, excuse me, ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. You know, some churches would say they have a democratic form of church government. And because of this, 
They would think of the church as a democracy. But I would say it's not a democracy. We would be closer to Scripture if we thought of the church as a Christocracy. Where Christ is the center and he's the one who calls the shots. See, he is the Lord of the church. I love that passage of Scripture because it says that he gave himself... It says, he himself being the savior of the body. He is the head of the church, being the savior of the body. I love that because it means that Jesus died for the church. It means that he gave his life for the church. And we ought to do that also, men, for our wives. Be willing to lay our life down for her. Being willing to protect her dignity. This isn't a sermon about guys, so we'll save that for Father's Day or or Husband's Day or whatever that is. Moving on, it says that Christ loves the church. He loves the church. And he gave himself for it. Verse 25. He not only loved the church, but he gave himself for it by dying on the cross. That's how much he loves you. By dying on the cross for you, for me. He continues to love the church today and he gives himself to the church and for the church. You see, Christ cleanses the church. He sanctifies and washes the church so that it may become glorious. So that the church can become holy. He cleanses us and washes us with his word so that we would be clean so that we would be holy so that we would be that spotless bride Christ continually works to bring about the full dedication of his people to God for the purposes of God so that so that we can display his holiness to a dark sinful world So that we can show them what a relationship with God looks like. So that we can be that spotless bride that that, that others would look at and say, I want what they've got. I I want to be where they are. I want to be walking with God like they do. He loves and he cleanses the church. It says in verse 29 that he nourishes the church. He feeds the church. He gives us what we need. I think that's huge. Because our Lord did that. He could build up the church and and nourish the fledgling church that made up of the first apostles. He, He nourished them and cherishes them. And today He nourishes and cherishes us. See, the body, His body, is in reality the people of God. He's the one leading. He's the one in charge. But it's his body. I'm thankful that we are able to cleanse our bodies. I smelled like fajita smoke yesterday. It felt good to take a shower when I got home. You know, it's one of those things where when we, when we are cleansed like that, it, it gives us a fresh start. And, and that's what we need. As sinners, we need a fresh start. Amen. And Jesus Christ and his word wash over us. 
we're able to have the forgiveness of our sins. He nourishes us. He feeds us. He cherishes us. But you see, Christ and the church are inseparable. They go together. Christ as the head of the church is incomplete and unproductive without the body. And I say this reverently and without any desire to take anything away from Jesus Christ. He's the head. We're the body. This image of the body of Christ shows the the absolute necessity of the body functioning if the work of the head of the church is to proceed according to God's plan is we need to function together properly. But you see, every believer is part of a unit. Every believer is part of a unit. Think about an automobile maybe for just a moment. Every part is essential to the proper functioning of the whole, but the car is thought of as one. It's, it's one unit. So is the church. We are one body. This is the true body of Christ. His body is formed of believers from all walks of life. We all come from different places. We all come from different heritage. We all come from different cultures and different stratus of society and all levels of, of wealth. But we are one body. His body is made up of people who have nothing else in common except the fact that we have received Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. And we become the body of Christ. That's a wonderful thing. Because the body of Christ is a unified diversity. It's very diverse, but we're all one. That's what we need to understand. We are all part of one another. See, when every believer fills his or her place, the place they were assigned by God, given the gifts that that the Holy Spirit gave them, then the body functions as it should. And when the body functions as it should, God is glorified and the kingdom of God moves forward. Isn't that what we desire? To see the kingdom of God move forward? It's like if you were to take a gas tank, a tire, a a, uh, radiator hose, and a steering wheel and lay them all side by side. Nothing would happen. It would just sit there. They have absolutely nothing in common except for the fact that they are all part of a unit that is part of a car. They are all part of that one unit called a car. But if the tank holds gas and the tire is mounted on a wheel and is attached to the body, and if that hose has water in it and the steering wheel is in its place, then the the car can function like it was meant to function. The same is true for the body of Christ. You see, sometimes we struggle with things. And we think about our own insignificance and we think, well... My job isn't that important. I really, I don't do much. I'm a a greeter at church. I I greet people and and give them a smile and, and hand them a bulletin. 
Or maybe you say, well, I, I don't do much. My job's not important. My ministry isn't. I, I, I'm an usher. I, I go help collect offering and help people find a seat and do other things. But it's not that big a deal. Or maybe I'm just a bass player. Or I, I serve in, my area of ministry is one, two, three church. And, you know, I, I, I go and, and, and help teach kids in children's church. You see, the, the church body is healthy and efficient only when each part is functioning properly. See, God seeks for us to be interdependent, not independent. We live in an independent society. We treasure and put up on and wear badges of our individualism. But the church is not supposed to be that way. We're not supposed to be independent of one another. We're supposed to be interdependent, mutually dependent upon each other because that's the way Christ set up the church. There's huge application here. Let me give you a little quick test here. In this last month, in the last four weeks, did you share with someone else an area of need in your life. Because sometimes we want to be so independent. We don't want anybody else helping us with anything. We got this. In the last month, in the last four weeks, did you express gratitude to another member of the body for what that person means to you? Because when we look around, there's a lot more people than just one here. And we're all part of the body together. (laughs) I mean, would the sign, no help wanted, would that fit around your neck? It's a fair question. Because if God created us as the body of Christ to work interdependently with each other, then we need to be doing that and not holding out at a distance and saying, no, I don't need any help. I'm good. Thanks. Remember, when a part of your body, (laughs) a part of your body declares its independence from the rest of the body, it starts to die. The idea that we can, can stay close to God without involvement in the church is a myth. It's a lie from the enemy. I mean, there's a, there's a series of movies out there. They've been out a long time. You know the character, John Rambo, you know, played by Sylvester Stallone. He goes out and, and uh, he's a, a military man and a former military man and, and he's, he's called upon to, um, to take on the enemy single-handedly. And Rambo does what armies are unable to do, okay? I mean, he takes on the enemy and and rescues soldiers that have been left behind. And and it's kind of a common theme in in the media, okay? Let me give you a couple of examples. Jason Bourne, James Bond, even um, Jack Bauer, okay? They all take on the enemy by themselves. And while it might be entertaining, it's also very unrealistic, Because even the most skilled individuals need the help of others. 
So in the human body, when a cell or an organism decides to do their own thing, the body's in trouble. Because cancer cells are caused by formerly healthy cells that went renegade to do their own thing. So I would, I would give this to you this morning. A detached Christian is a Christian who is in trouble. Someone who's disconnected from the body is a, someone who is dying. And I say that with the deepest sin, sincerity because I know that you know people and I know people who say, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. A detached Christian is a Christian who is in trouble. I mean, we've all heard people say things like, I feel as close to God on the golf course as I do at church. And a person who says something like that may indeed feel as close to God on the golf course as they do in church. Because their relationship with God is shallow and they are as close to God on the golf course. But there's something about each of us when we come together as the people of God, as the body of Christ, and we all come with the Holy Spirit longing and and, and propelling us to come and worship the King of Kings, the one who has given us eternal life. And when we come together and do that, I cannot get that feeling. I cannot get that sense. I cannot do that on my own somewhere else. It's when I'm with you all. And we sing a song like, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. I mean, he bore my burdens to Calvary so that I might live eternally with him. As we unite and sing that as a body, I'm not talking about that particular song, but what I'm talking about is when we worship the King of Kings, when we worship the Lord, there's something special about that that I can't get out on the lake, that I can't I can worship God in creation. I get that. But there is something special about when the body of Christ comes together. That I can't do on my own. And that's why a detached Christian is a Christian that's in trouble. I mean, Hebrews 10.25, we're given this commandment. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. He's coming back. He's coming back. And we're his bride, and he's coming for us. I mean, man, that is exciting. He wants us. He wants us to be ready when he comes back. I don't want to be trying to get my shoes on. I don't want to say, I just got to shower up. I'll be, I'll be there in a minute. That's why he washes us with the word now. Getting us ready, preparing us for that day when he returns for his bride. And I don't want to be unprepared. Like one of those bridesmaids, like one of the the ten virgins. As members of his church, we participate together in the activity 
of the body. And this carries the thought a little further. Because it means when one of us hurts, we all feel that. And when one of us is exalted, then we we celebrate and we rejoice in that. I'm so glad that my whole body goes to the celebrations. You know, if if, if we were going to go celebrate the birth of a grandson, I'm glad my leg didn't say, well, I'm staying home. I'm glad my shoulder didn't say, well, that's for you guys. I'm not going. I'm glad my whole body was involved with that. And I would imagine Christ feels the same way when his body comes together and celebrates together the activity of the body. But when parts do not function as they ought, then there are problems and nothing gets done as it should. I mean, Paul's goal and mine is for us to see that every member (laughs) needs every other member and that each one of us are in the place, the God-given gifts that God has given us, and we're doing that God-given function. It's not enough to be on the bus. We all got to be in the right seats. Because that's what God ordained. That's what he has for us. And when we do that, we can function properly. See, together we're a complete body. And individually we are small, but a vital component of a very important organism called the church. Very important. We are his hands, his feet. We are the ones who are accomplishing his purpose in the world. But i got to say one more thing about this. Christians of different churches should be working together and supporting each other. One of the biggest criticisms of Christians is the variety of churches. I mean, people are understandably confused by all the different churches that they that, that seem to think that, well, all of the other guys are wrong. I mean, it's, it's a true evaluation of where we see the church. It's a valid criticism. And here's my point. And I'm not just talking about us working with other churches. I'm also talking about us in the body. Okay? We are much more prone to divide than we are to work together. We get very territorial. That's my ministry. That's our ministry. We're much too prone to divide rather than to work together. I mean, we should be united by our dependence, by our commitment to Christ, who is God in the flesh. (laughs) The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Who gave His life as a payment for our sin and who gives His Spirit to transform those who put their trust in Him. We should be dependent on one another in that same vein. But oh no, we're, we're, we're going to draw the line. I, I think about this because we should be looking for ways to build bridges to other believers. What does the enemy want to do? Divide and conquer. You know, unfortunately, over the course of time, some churches have abandoned 
those core, what I want to call non-negotiable values of the faith. Some of those have, have um, compromised those. And to be fully united would require that we compromise on truths such as the deity of Christ or the authority of Scripture or the way of, to salvation. And brothers and sisters, we cannot compromise the truth. Because that would be a denial of the essence of our faith. It would be like giving away our children so that we could get along better with the family next door who doesn't have kids. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to hang on to those non-negotiables. The truth of Jesus Christ. The truth of who God is. The truth of who he, that he came and, and, and lived in the flesh and died for us. There's a lot of things that we hang on to that are negotiable. But the non-negotiables we need to hang on to. I believe that a marriage is between a man and a woman. Because that's what God's word says. I don't care what society says. I'm taking my stand on God's word. And I will take this into eternity with me. That's where I'm at. I know what our society believes and how it's just anything goes. But realize this, the good news of God's word is that Christ came to communicate God's love by conquering death and the grave and hell. He came to us. He loved us that much. He came to us. And as the living Lord, he wants to come and take up residency in your life. He wants to be your Lord. And if we call ourselves Christians, he is our Lord. See, when you receive the new the gift of new life, the new birth. You become part of the body of Christ. You are now part of the body of Christ. When you've, when you've surrendered to Him, when you've, when you've acknowledged the authority of Jesus Christ in your life, when you've accepted Him in and made Him your Lord and Savior, then you acknowledge You acknowledge Him. And when you do that, Scripture says that you become a child of God. You are no longer a child of darkness. You're a child of light. If you are without Christ today, I want to remind you that just because you attend church or just because maybe you're even a member of a local church, it does not necessarily make you a member of Christ's body. Only those who realize they are sinners, separated from God and headed for judgment, who flee to Christ for forgiveness, become His children. Only those who have a need for forgiveness, the forgiveness that Jesus Christ brings, only those who acknowledge Him as Lord, giving Him the right to rule in their life, will be brought into the body of Christ and make up the true believers of his body. Have you in simple faith turned to Christ and trusted him for your salvation?
If not, why not do it today? To make him Lord, to make him Savior. John says in John chapter 1, verse 12, he says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe on his name. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. And we're going to have a time of response. We've heard God's word. We've heard what it says. My question is, how will you respond? You know, there are many ways you could respond. You can respond this morning by rejecting Christ. You can say, he's not my Lord, I'm the boss. And you can continue to live your life just the way you have all previously in your life. Or you can say, you know, I believe what that preacher's saying that comes out of the Word of God. And I want to give my life to Christ. I don't know where you're at. I know this. The day is approaching. And when that day comes, Jesus will return for his bride. The body of Christ. And when he does, I want to be part of that. And my prayer is that you do too. And if you've never acknowledged him as your Savior and Lord, I encourage you. I beg you to do that today. Don't put it off. Do it today. I don't care what church you're a member of. I don't care how much you go to church. I don't care how much you tithe. I don't care about any of that. What I care about is your soul. And whether or not you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ.